Matthew 23. Matthew chapter 23. We uh, come to the new chapter here. It's a great passage, really, in Scripture. And it's a very unusual passage in, in that we're going to really watch the Lord Jesus Christ um, silence, undress, get, go after the religious leaders. And uh, he's going to go after them here. He's going to be quite outspoken. He's going to be quite forceful with them. He's going to be quite clear with them. And, uh, and with the religious leaders here as they stand in opposition to who he is, to the truth. And uh, he's going to rebuke them. And uh, he, he's going to go get them big time here. And uh, when he does this, uh, he, he's going to pronounce, uh, we're going to see the first 12 verses this evening. You start down in verse 13, and he's going to pronounce some doom on them, on the leaders we're talking about, uh, the Pharisees, the scribes, their ritualism, their tradition. And uh, he, he's, this, this chapter is one of those chapters where you quickly learn that, that the Lord was not a passive uh, passive. Pacifist, I get there. You know, he he's uh, really was quite uh, dogmatic, sarcastic at times, but he was quite. Everybody goes, ah, he turned the other cheek, and and that's. You read those verses, and you got to leave them in their context of what he's talking about. And in these passages, he's going to go after them, and he's Paul over there in uh, Romans. 16, where he talks about mark and avoid those that cause divisions. Well, he's going to nail them. And the Lord's, you know, there, there's something to being and having your speech seasoned with salt and with grace and with peace and being uh, diplomatic with people. And then there's times when you just got to put your foot down and say enough's enough. And that's what the Lord's doing here. Now, coming again, just in our thinking, coming out of chapter 22... Verse 41 to 45 there, uh, the nation, the leadership, they, they didn't get the testimony uh, of, of the scriptures that talked about who Christ was, the deity, him being the Messiah. They, they couldn't see it. They were confused by it. He, he asked them a question. They didn't, could not answer him, didn't want to answer him. So they're really in a hopeless state. And because of their blindness and because of their hardness of heart, Christ is now going to go after them in chapter 23 with a heavy rebuke and, and then instruction to and with uh, the, the, the disciples, the little flock. And this passage, Matthew 23 and, and John 8, when we went through the Gospel of John, are two passages in Scripture that are never preached about or talked about by uh, the Roman Catholic Church or by liberals or by the religious groups as a whole because of what he's going to do. And, and again, as we go down through here, we'll see this. We'll see the issues come up and uh, we'll see the, the, uh, the, the rebuke of the Lord. And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't want you to misunderstand the passage. The chapter. It, it's not just him thundering away at them. It's just not him being Christ being harsh with and sarcastic and bombastic uh, toward the leaders of Israel. 
It's not just that. It's rather you begin to see the sorrow of the Savior's heart. You begin to hear the tears in his voice. And, uh, and, and if you don't see that, then you need to go back and reread the chapter. Because he's going to get them. And, and in spite of the sorrows, in spite of the tears, and he's going to pronounce judgment on them. And it's breaking his heart to do it. And uh, that's really what I, would, I want you to get out of it as we go through the chapter. But at the same time, hear what he is saying. 23 verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now, again, we have to remember, we just spent chapter 22 where he's been talking to the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the the religious leaders of Israel. And they've all come. They've asked him questions. He's answered them. They're trying to tangle him. They're trying to entrap him. He answers them. He then asks them a question. They can't answer because he he is the authority, and they can't get it. So now he's turning to the multitude. And verse number 2, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All, therefore, whatsoever they uh, bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. So he's going to kind of, he's setting the stage, if you will. he's, He's commending the multitude and the disciples to adhere to what these, these guys sit, they sit in Moses' seat, they're going to bid you to do some things, and you're to do it, and you need to do it because of who they are, and because of their, their, their uh, office that they hold. But when you see them go do works, you don't go do it like they're doing it. Um, it's interesting, he doesn't come in and say that these guys are breaking the law. And so don't pay any attention to them. Okay, don't listen to them. They, they don't get it, just forget the law. He doesn't do that at all. Rather, so he's saying, hey, <laughs> I, I, he doesn't take Israel out from underneath the law. He doesn't take them and say they're breaking the law, ignore them. Rather, he's going to take Israel out from underneath the leadership of the apostate leaders. I'm taking the kingdom from you, and I'm giving it to a nation, that little flock. Israel and that believing remnant are to be under the law. He isn't changing the program. And it's important that you get that, because when he says, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. He's, not. he's not taking them out of their program. He's not taking off the law. He's taking them, he's changing who is going to sit in Moses' seat. Who's sitting there here? Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. He's removing the leaders and he's going to install the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, that little flock in their place. And, and that's critical here because what happens is 
is people use this passage to say, ah, see, he just took them out from underneath the law, so they don't have to do the law. We don't have to do And that's not what he's doing there. There hasn't been a dis... Whoops, excuse me. There has not been a dispensational change. And you have to be careful there to think that there is. Okay? Now, verse 2. Saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now, that's a reference back to Exodus 18. So let's run back to Exodus 18. Exodus 18. Moses' seat here. And uh, this is important. Exodus 18, verse 13, down to verse 16. Exodus 18, 13. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening? Even. And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them known the statutes of God and his law. Moses sat, and he judged the people. And when the people wanted to know what God's will was, and what the word was, and what the purpose of the statutes was, they came to Moses and asked, the priesthood has not been established yet. So Moses is the guy. Moses would come and give them, he, they would come and ask Moses, and he'd give them understanding. He would declare from his seat. And that, it's interesting, we'll see, you, you read passages and they'll say, they sat in the gate of the city. It's a seat of authority. It's his position of authority. The statutes of God, the law. Moses is that great lawgiver. He is the lawgiver. <laughs> and he sits there. Now, if you'll drop your eyes down to verse 24, you begin to see something because Moses' father-in-law is going to say, yeah, he's going to look down at Moses and say, man, if you keep this up, you're going to kill yourself. You're wearing yourself out. Don't, you know, he gives you that, that wonderful psycho babble, don't burn out for Christ. And I always hear that and go, hey, what do you mean burn out for Christ, you know? I hear guys all the time, I, you know, even in our circles, well, I'm retiring from the ministry. What? <laughs> you know, you're, you're only 40, dude. Come on, man. What do you mean? You know, and what it is is they just don't want to do it anymore, so they quit. Instead of just saying, I'm quitting, I'm done, they retire, and we're going to go do something else. You know, I, I was watching one of the GSB tapes uh, a couple weeks ago, and one of the, there was a, a guest speaker in it, and uh, he was, was in the grace, was a pastor down in the Florida area. And uh, because of his wife, he went back to his Baptist church roots. <laughs> so it's like, okay. But he had the honesty and the integrity to say, this, we're going back, you know. And that's what his father-in-law is doing to him. Now watch verse 24. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all of Israel, I'm sorry, out of all Israel, and made them heads over people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. 
and they judge the people at all seasons. The hard, co- the hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judge themselves. Isn't that interesting? There you see the establishment of the Sanhedrin is right there, what, we, what later gets called the Sanhedrin. Moses developed a system of authority where judges, judgments, and everything were made under Moses, go out among the people. The hard cases Moses gets directly, everything else they get there. Now, when you get over into the Gospels, there's your Sanhedrin. That's where it comes from. Come back to Matthew 23. When you come, uh, that's what, and that's what he's talking about when he says here in verse 2 that they're sitting in Mo, and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They are the people, they, they are the ones that the people go to to get a definitive interpretation of the judgment and statutes that God gave Israel through Moses and to find out the will of God. That's Moses' seat. So when he tells them there, hey, you see those guys up there? They're in authority. When they tell you to do something, you better do it, but, but it's don't do it the way they said to do it. Now what happens here as we go down through the chapter, he's going to begin to talk about the religious system. And the religious system, he's going to talk about fathers and rabbis and masters and all this stuff. This religious system, we see it today, and you, see, and you hear people talk about it over and over and over again, to be the Roman Catholic Church. But it's not the Roman Catholic Church. In Scripture, by the way, in Matthew, the Roman Catholic Church did not exist. So it's not, the, but in modern day, today, if you want to see a manifestation of what Scripture calls Baal worship, you just look to the Roman Catholic Church, there it is. The problem is, is there's a couple Protestant groups that do the same thing, and it's just not as intense as the Catholics. So you just can't say this is, no, it's called Baal worship. And that's what you're seeing when we're going to go through this. By the way, Baal worship begins really back in Genesis 4 with Cain. You see it manifested and taken with Nimrod as they build Babel, and they begin to lay that in. But what you do is, in the book of Judges, Judges 17 to 18, you see it, get in, you see it brought into the nation of Israel through the tribe of Dan. So in your Old Testament... You'll get into this issue about Baal worship, and you begin to see it as it comes through. And you know what begins to happen is, is then you and I look up, and we go, wait a minute. We can, there it is right there. There it is. And we can begin to see a manifestation of it. So if you ever hear a Catholic say, our church is the oldest church, they are right. Because it goes all the way back to Genesis 4. Genesis 3 with Satan, really, <laughs> Okay, it's, it's, they're right about it. So I know guys who, oh, no, no, no. Well, yeah, they're in that system. They're in that course of the world, the, the religious side. So when you see that, by the way, you get over in the book of the Revelation, that passage, uh, I think it's chapter 2, might be in 3, but chapter 2, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Okay, guess what they are? 
Today, we'd call them the Roman Catholic Church. Out in the future, it's not. It's going to be the Nicolaitans. They're going to set up the same way. Okay? So when you see that, you know, just remember as we go through this, um, and, and again, it's an interesting thing because Judaism gets infested with this stuff. And it's a sad case, but it's the case. And again, as you look around today, and by the way, the Roman Catholic Church is just a branch of this. You have the Greek Orthodox or the Russian Orthodox. And all they are is a melding off of Lutheran. Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic priest that ended up understanding justification, not, didn't like the Pope, didn't like what they were doing. So you know what he did? He broke away with it. But when you go into a Lutheran church, you don't know whether you're in a Catholic church or not, other than there's not as much stained glass, not as much opulence, the money. But the thing is, is they did still did the same kind of stuff. So, again, when we read through this, don't, uh, we're going to say some things and it's going to go, well, that's Roman Catholic Church. No, it's Baal worship. It's the, it's the religion of Baal. Jezebel. Beth, and Beth Baal was her dad and all this stuff. And it's like, you got Baal everywhere. <laughs> anyway, verse 3. Now you got Matthew 23, 3, right? Okay. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe. So whatever Moses is going to tell them to do, that observe and do. But, and that's the kicker, do, do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. So come back to chapter 15. We've, we've seen this already. So in other words, when they tell you, what Moses said, you go do it, but when they give you their works to do, he says, don't do it that way. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then came, Je then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. They don't say the tradition of Moses... See, they said the tradition of their elders. They're not talking about the Word of God. They're not talking about what Moses said. They're talking about all of their religious traditions that they developed. Verse 3, But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? See, God gave some commandments. They've come along and added to it. They added to the, they've added some traditions that literally violated what God had told them to be doing. Verse 6. Uh, yeah, verse 6. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. And that, I mean, you go over, he's, and you read, when we get on the study of the Gospel of Mark, I've started reading Mark, he nails them about this stuff. You, you're, I mean, and it's, you hypocrites. He, he's not, oh, we love you, come here, boom, boom. You know, he's, he's just on them because what have they done? They've taken the word of God. Well, verse 7, ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, 
and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So go back to chapter 23. So there's a conflict going on here in the nation. These men sit in Moses' seat. They have the authority. And sometimes what Moses said, and sometimes what the fathers want done, their traditions, guess what they're going to do? Conflict. They're going to go against. So he says, Do not ye after their works, for they say, and do not. They sit there in Moses' seat. They are the authority. So when they tell you what Moses says, you go do it. Don't rebel against them because you're obeying God's word. That's who they are. But don't do after their works. When they tell you to ignore Moses and you come over here and wash your hands or pots and pans or tithe on the mint and all that stuff, he says, you don't do that. You come over here and do this. Don't do what they're doing because they are saying, because what they're doing is they're violating the word of God. Now, from verse 4 to 7, is going to demonstrate the false, what the false tradition is all about. What false religion is all about. And then from verse 8 down to verse 10, 11, he's going to demonstrate what true religion is all about. So in the, in the, in the 4 to 7, he's going to say, here's what false religion produces. And then in 8 down to, to verse 10 there, he's going to say, here's what pure religion does. Here's what the true religious is. Verse 4. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders. They require you to do all the things that are hard to do. They're on you. They, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Right? You come over to Galatians 6. This is exactly what Paul's talking about in Galatians 6. And, and by the way, as we go down through this, I'll try to give you some for us today, because guess what we see? The same thing. Reverend Rick Jordan. I'm not reverend, you know. It's, we'll talk about that in just a minute. The right Reverend Rick Jordan. It's like, what? That's not what we, you know, no. Well, but there are some people that like that title, reverend. Until you get into scripture and you find out what he's talking about, and then you're just like, ooh, I don't think I want that one. All right, Galatians 6, verse 12. Here it is. Um, as many as desire to make a fair show, where? In the flesh. They constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but des desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your... They don't keep the law. They don't do it, but guess what? They want you to do it. And if they can keep you under the law, the thumb of the law, then you know what it makes them look? Makes them look good. So then they can boast, go back to Matthew 23, so they can boast in the flesh. 
So what does he say, verse 5? But all their works they do for to be seen of men. And that is the true motive of religion, of tradition. And uh, again, religion is designed for the satisfaction of the lust of your flesh. That's what it's all about. And that issue here of, of getting something done and pleasing God, uh, pleasing God is not the issue. The issue is that all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the up, uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the market to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. They love the, their phylactery, they enlarge the board, these long robes. You know what they're doing? If they got to enlarge them, you know what they're doing? They're getting fat. They're, they're, they're not out working. They're not out doing. They're sitting back. They're in, I mean, I think about the chief seats in the synagogues. It's not like these folding chairs or even that pew. It, you know, it's this, or these chairs. Well, these chairs up here are a little nicer. But it's that lazy boy recliner, you know. It's real plush. and la I, I, We went to a movie theater before B.C., before COVID, you know. <laughs> I'm always trying to figure out how I can work that in somewhere. B.C., before COVID, you know. Anyway, and it was a dinner theater where you could eat dinner and or have it food brought to your seat or something like that. And, uh, and the seats were, like, really nice. You know, a lot of room and plush. I can remember the first time I ever flew first class. And uh, I got bumped into it because uh, I, 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 was, I was in my seat. And a mom and a child sat here, and a dad and a child sat there. And then an, one of their relatives was, like, way up front. And the lady asked me, the, the airline lady, stu, stewardess, I, you know, worker, flight attendant. Thank you. That's the word. Okay. Whew. Going to worry about that all night. She asked me if I wouldn't mind moving because it was like a cousin or something. He was young. And I said, no, I'll move. I don't care. You know, I'm just, you know. So I moved, and I was on my way up, and she goes, come with me. And she put me in first class. And I'm like, Bill, this is a nice one, you know. And that was the first time I could, act, you know, you get to spread out, you know, wow. It's like, whoa. I told Linda, I said, we're flying first class from now on. She goes, no, we're not. <laughs> but that was before anyway. That's what these guys are doing. They... They love the pomp and ceremony. They don't they 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 love the to be seen of men, to be in the market, the greetings in the market, and to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi. And you know what the Lord's doing here is he's saying, You don't want that. When you when he says here in verse five. Uh, that they make broad their phyl uh, phylacteries. That's the little box of Scripture that sits on their forehead. So that they, I, I, they <laughs> plaster that thing right there. Why? So people know who they are. See, that's the whole thing. They, they, they had garments. They enlarged them. 
Again, you go back to Numbers 15, Deuteronomy 22, and you see all, you, you see they had garments with borders. They had all of this special clothing so that, come over to Mark chapter 12, so that they could be identified as rabbi, rabbi, or master, or father. Mark 12. You see, they, they come along and, and they're wearing special clothing to identify themselves as the religious leaders. It's interesting, we, again, before COVID, we would be at the Bible conference and you always knew who the preacher was because he had a jacket and a tie on. And it's, it, I'm talking about during the morning sessions. Everybody else is, you know, relaxed. And then, and, you know, put your suit on. And then you're in. Now, in the evening, you know, Dad had his on and Marvin Taylor had, and then, you know, the speaker. So you knew who the speaker was because what were they wearing? They were wearing the suit. You knew who, okay? So that's kind of the idea. They were wearing clothing so people could do what? Spot them. There's the guys. There they are. Mark 12, look at verse 38. Mark 12, 38. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplace. Long clothing. Luke, come over to Luke, verse 20. By the way, this is where some of the religions out there get the idea of the long underwear and the robes underneath, and all, you know, the Mormons have that issue and so forth. It's from this kind of stuff. Luke 20. I'm sorry, Luke 20. So when you go through here, you know, again, he, <laughs> this isn't just love your neighbor. He's like, hey, this is, this is what the false religious traditions look like. And you need to pay attention to it. Luke 20, verse 46. Beware of the scribe, which desire to walk in long robes and love greetings in the market and highest seats in the synagogue and the chief rooms at feast. Now, by the way, go back to Matthew 23. Do we know some religious leaders that like to go around dressed in long robes following their church tradition? and funny-looking clothes on them in order to be identified as who they are. Yeah. You watch the Pope, and he wears that goofy fish hat, you know, that little that miter up there. And you go back, and you read about the Philistines and D Dagon, the fish god, and you go search that out, and you look that thing up, and guess what it looks like? Same hat the Pope wears. It's all part of that religious system, Baal worship. Matthew 23, verse 4. What do they do? They bind heavy burdens, verse 5, but all their works they do, verse 7, greetings in the marketplace, but be not, but, now watch verse 8, but be not ye called rabbi. So verse 4, 5, 6, and 7 are all talking about them. For they bind heavy burdens, all their works. They love the greetings of them. But you, 
don't you do that. So the, the them, the false guys, starting in verse 8, 9, and 10, he's going to turn to the disciples now, and he's going to say, I want you guys to be the real deal. I want you to be genuine. I want you to be authentic. That's the, okay? I want you to be that. Verse 8, be not ye called rabbi. For one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth. For one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Notice, he, in the passage, he talks about re three religious titles um, that are get worn by the religious leaders. And he says, don't you take on the religious title. Don't you do that. Okay? Come over with, back with me to Job. Job 32. This passage in Job, Job 32, verse 21 and 22, talking about religious titles. Elhu here is uh, giving the proper viewpoint about religious titles and religious leaders. Job 32:21. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person, neither let me give flattering titles unto man. For I know not to give, I'm sorry, for I know not to give flattering titles. Now watch. In so doing, my maker would soon take me away. You got to be careful when you talk to people. You got to be careful when you talk about flattering titles. Let me come back to Matthew 23. It's just a bunch of stuff to make them look good. And the result is, is that the Lord is going to get me for it. <laughs> He's going to take me away. And there's going to be some problems that come along with it. Now, in our case, like here, I, I have the title pastor. But that's to do business out in the world, and it's to have the interaction here with whoever you know people like to identify the guy in charge. If you call me... Rick, or hey you, or hey dummy, or whatever, I'll answer and come and talk to you. And it was interesting, years ago, when we first started meeting in the La Quinta, I was like, yeah, I'm Rick, and we're talking, and he's like, okay, well, who's your pastor? I'm like, I am. So I, I learned, I got to lead with, I'm Pastor Rick, because <laughs> people will then realize who they're dealing with. And uh, even, even here lately, in the last couple of years, folks have said, you don't have to wear the tie and the suit. Yes, I do. One, it's respect for what we're doing. And then two, it's the identify the head troublemaker. <laughs> and, but it's more of the respect for teaching the word and so forth. I think one of the saddest things that's happened here out of the COVID stuff is some of the guys have gone away from the, the ties and the suits because they're at home doing this stuff online. So they're more relaxed, and it, yet, no, it doesn't matter where you sit. There's a respect to what we're doing that needs to be there, but that's just me, 
Okay, it's just how I look at it. So, all right, where are we at? We just did Job, right? All right, run back to. Let's go back to Psalms 111. Psalms 111. I guess you were close to there, weren't you? So this issue about religious titles, Psalms 111, people in verse number 9, 111 verse 9, when you talk about titles, people use the reverend title. Here's the verse, Psalms 11 verse 9. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. Isn't that interesting? He's talking about God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He's talking about the Lord. But when you, when you think about this, holy and reverend is his name. Now, he's not saying God's name is holy. I, I, like I would say, there's Susie and Bruce and Denise and Ger- Gerald and uh, Dwayne. He's talking about... His, it means that God's name is holy. God's God, His name is to be reverend. Now, I don't know why you'd ever take that and apply that to a God, to a man, call him reverend. No, it's to be reverenced. And again, by, you know, Bible believers usually get that and don't do that. So when you come back to Matthew twenty-three. So if somebody comes up and says, hey, Reverend Rick, you know, I usually will answer them and just say, don't call me Reverend. Because, <laughs> you know, that's, we're, we're, I'm, that, you just elevated me to a position that I do not desire to be in. <laughs> okay? So, but here in Matthew 23, there are three titles that he uses. Uh, Rabbi, Father, and Master. And all three of these religious titles that the Pharisees, the, San, the Sadducees, they love to hear and to be in the marketplace. It's interesting that Christ chose these three, the most popular ones, because these three, they are drilling down onto, into an issue that's at hand. There are three basic things that men need spiritually that are being reflected here. You need spiritual life. You need instruction and authority in your spiritual life. And then you need guidance and direction in your spiritual life. And they, they're the definition of these three titles. Rabbi, first one he gives. Rabbi, it's, it's, he's talking about the teaching office that the Jews ascribed, a rabbi was an infallible teacher, someone who communicated authoritatively. They, they're, they're, they ha- they carry, they're a teacher. The fa- father, verse 9, call no man your father. Again, he's not saying dad, don't call anybody dad. All right, and again, you go back to Judges 17 and 18, there's Micah, and he gets a young, a young priest comes up, and, and he says, and he's a young kid, and he says, I, I will call you father. It's not a daddy type of, it, it's, a, it's a priestly office 
That's what the Father is. In, in the, the Father title, it's imparting and sustaining life. When he says there in verse 9, call no man your father, he's, he's, say, he's, he's not, again, he sits there and he says, listen guys, you've got me. You don't need that guy. You've got the real deal. Okay? So, rabbi is the teacher. Father is the priest. Offices, okay? Then he says, master. And when he talks there about master, he's talking about a leader, uh, a director, a, of the, uh, uh, someone who comes in and is going to guide so the rabbi is the teaching office, father is the priestly office, and master is the guiding office. And the infallible teaching office is where you get the authority and the instruction. The priestly office is where you get the impartation and sustaining of life. And the master is where you're going to get the guidance for your life. And that's what religion is going to offer you. They say, we'll give you infallible authority and rule and guide for life. We'll give you life through our ceremonies that's going to sustain you. Through the rites and the rituals and the ceremonies, whatever. You know what that's going to do? It's going to guide you and it'll get you through things. But watch verse 8. What does he say? Be not called. Rabbi, why? Be, for one is your master, even who? Christ. He says to those guys, you, do you need to go out there and to be a part of that, relig that teaching office of that religious system? No. Why? You got something better. You got Christ. You've got the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got Messiah. He's the final authority. He's the one to go to. He's the word. Verse 9. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Do you need to go to the priestly office over there and... Have them stand between you and God to give you spiritual life? No. Paul says to you and I that Christ is our life in Colossians 3. You've got the Father, which is, Paul in Ephesians 4, we have the Godhead indwelling in us. We've got the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Man, why in the world do you want a, some dude in a long robe over here doing, you know, my daddy beat your daddy in dominoes and, you know, whatever he says. You don't need that. You've got, you, you, you have the mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Then he says, verse 10, Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. In other words, what he's doing is, is this is what religion, false religion looks like. Here's what true religion, you know what you don't need? If they tell you to do something 
They sit in Moses' seat. They're in that position of authority. And it's not going to violate the word of God. You go and do it. That's why the Lord heals that guy. And he says to him, the, the, the leopard, he says, go to the priest and do the cleansing. Show him and go through the cleansing ritual. And do what Moses commanded you to do, is how the verse says it. Okay, so instead of going there, he goes out and tells everybody. <laughs> he said, the, you know, the Lord's like, don't go tell nobody, just go present yourself to the priest. And he goes, tells everybody, I guess he made it to the priest. <laughs> Why? Because that's what the word told them to do. But man, when, that, when those guys tell you to come do something that's violating it, don't go do it, because now you're part of that false system. And what you need to do is you need to be the real deal, because who do you have? You've got the Godhead going on your side. You've got me, you've got the Father, and then coming in Acts 2, you're going to get the Spirit. You've got us on your, you've got the real deal. You don't need that false religion to guide you around. You've got the, the unfailing guide, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's the moral principle of grace and true service. That's what he's been teaching them all along. Over there in John, he's going to sit with them and he's going to wash their feet. Peter says, no, I should be washing your feet. He goes, no, I'm teaching you how to be a servant here. Why? Because in the kingdom, it's all about service. Verse 12, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Come over to James chapter 4. Interesting thing here about this humble Humbling, James chapter 4 and verse number 10. James 4 verse 10. He says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Come over to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5 and verse number 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. There isn't any reason for anyone to go out there and to be strutting around like they are somebody. And what's happening here, when you go back here to Matthew 23 is in Israel's program, that false religion has got these guys out strutting around. And there's, that's a picture of the spiritual condition in that apostate nation. They're missing it. They've missed him. And the disciples are being educated in the proper lifestyle of the kingdom. Now for you and I, there's some spiritual truth in this as well, and uh, there's some things that we can catch. Again, we're not here. I, I, I come back over there to Galatians 6, where we were just a little bit ago. You see, we're not here. We're, we're, you know, that, by the way, the new covenant, 
that the kingdom is based on is, a, is, is, is based on the issues of grace. Now, we live in the dispensation of grace, but Israel will receive the covenant blessings on the basis of grace. It's interesting. The Abrahamic covenant, the Palestinian covenant, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant, those three sub-covenants of the big one, he says, I will do it. Israel, they get, they get, they're going into the land. They are, they get up there to go in the land and wander around the wilderness for forty years. They are concerned about going into the land. So then, the Palestinian, what we call the Palestinian covenant, he says, "I will give you the land. I'm going to do it. You can't do it. You faith. My grace, I will do for you what you can't do for yourself." David, the Davidic covenant. They want a king like everybody else, so they pick Saul. And he goes, no, don't pick Saul. But they pick Saul. He puts David in. He goes to David and reconfirms it, and he says, I will put your seed on the throne. I'm going to do it. You're failing. Your seed's going to mess it up, (laughs) but I'm going to take care of it. The new covenant is the same way. Jeremiah 31 over there, he says, I will forgive you. I will put a new heart. I, the I will thing. I, that's grace, man. That's the gift. You guys have screwed it up. I'm going to take, I'm going to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. So don't you go strutting around out there getting all the titles and all the religion because all that's going to do is mess you up. And you know what? Paul says same thing. Galatians 6, we read verse 12 and 13. Look at verse 14. Verse 12 there, um, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they put on an impressive show, 6.12. They constrain you, verse 13, that they may glory in your flesh. Now look at verse 14. When he says there, they desire you to be circumcised, that's Matthew 23, the first seven verses, if you think about it, okay? But look at verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the Lord, unto the world. When you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and you realize what God is doing, Through the cross work of Christ, Paul says, the world is crucified unto me. That's our position in Christ. We're dead to all that religion out there. Then he says, and I unto the world. That's your experience. You see it. The grace completely adjusts, readjusts your whole life. That's why he says, we glory. If any man glories, let him glory where? In the Lord, Paul says. You're not glorying in the flesh. Verse 13, 12 and 13, where are you glorying? Verse 14, over there. So when you come back to Matthew 23, time should be up or close to it. Okay, we'll pick up in verse 13 because he's going to nail them with some woes. And uh, I have a note here 
uh, about the woes. If the, fair, if the Pharisees could, could slip, now remember, Pharisees are the fundamentalists. They are the Bible believers. They got the word. If they could slip into traditionalism, religious tomfoolery, you can too. And that's the danger. When we start in verse 13, and we go all the way down, if you look at verse 13, but woe, verse 14, but woe, verse 15, but woe, verse 16, woe unto you, verse 23, woe unto you, verse 25, woe unto you, verse 27, woe unto you, verse 29, woe unto you. There are eight woes. And if you go back to Matthew 5, there are eight Beatitudes. And just for a study on your side, you compare them up there and uh, spend a little time there. And you see that what happens is, is you compare those eight Beatitudes that reflect God's righteousness. And then you take the eight woes that are going to reflect the Pharisees' false righteousness. And it's fascinating. So you can do that sometime, okay? But uh, we'll pick up in verse 13 and we'll get the, whoa, Nellie. <laughs> That's Isaiah's, you know what the name of Isaiah's horse was? Woe is me. <laughs> okay. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, we thank you for your grace and uh, all that you've bestowed upon us in that. In your name we pray. Amen.